Welcome back to Range Anxiety. I'm your host, Martin Donnan, and uh, bringing you 30 years of automotive tuning experience in 30 minutes every few days. And I hope you're enjoying it. The feedback says you are, and that's fantastic. And you're going to be enjoying yourself today or tonight or wherever you are listening to this more than I'm about to enjoy what I'm on my way to doing. I'm in the Tesla Model 3 SR Plus today. It's the nice quiet one, even though I'm driving down a gravel road at the moment. You should be able to hear me nice and clear as I spew forth a diatribe of frustration and abuse in this episode today called Magic Happens. Magic Happens? Isn't that some sort of hippie sticker that you see on the back of eco cars like Priuses and probably even Teslas actually? Well, yeah, it is, but it's also something that's very, very common in the automotive industry, particularly the motor racing industry at an amateur or club level. In Australia, we have proper circuit racing. Obviously, you American listeners would have seen in, or heard on various of our other epicasts. They would have heard about our V8 supercar racing, which is very, very cool. It's like NASCAR with corners and like cooler gearboxes and engines and stuff. Our amateur motor racing is a little bit different to the US. It's more aligned probably with European amateur racing. We do a lot of things here called hill climbs. Basically a, a, an undulating, then open sort of track that is a mile to two miles long or even shorter in some instances. Oh, there goes a very nice 72 Civic. Not often you see one of those. Very nice. And climbs a hill. There are flat bits, but it's mainly climbing a hill as the name suggests and you take off from a standing start and you'll do seven or eight runs across the course of two days and they accumulate your time so you know your first time gets added to your second time gets added to your third time and at the end the person with the overall lowest time wins it's that simple there's a fair art to it hill climbing and doing it properly and there's you know the, the instant tire on choices and and all sorts of setup choices and matching turbos to tracks and yada yada yada. A favourite car for this in in this country is the R35 GDR. I mean, even though it doesn't look particularly nimble, it has proven itself over many many years as being a really super good fast hill climb car under any conditions. There's only a few a handful out there that have drivers good enough to put them on the top step of the podium, but. The cars themselves are very, very capable. Normally there's lots of Evo, Mitsubishis, uh, lots of Subarus, STIs and WRXs, and overall it's quite a fun weekend. What I don't like about it, particularly with high-tech cars or maintenance intensive cars, is that if you're running it at an amateur level, you still have to run the car at a professional level. There is no such thing as running an R35 GDR half-fast. In fact, there's no such thing as running any fast car half-fast. It's all maximum effort stuff. And normally when you go to these events and you look at the cars that are on the top step of the podium, they're all the maximum effort crews and preparation and testing that put together the top step results. This holds true for any motorsport, not just hill climbs. Surprise, surprise. Even holds true for Formula One. But they're all max effort. That's a difference, you see. So, I'm on my way now. It's Thursday afternoon. Um, 
tomorrow is Friday, obviously, and at about lunchtime, I have a friend, our good friend Edelweiss, Nick Strickelson, Strickeisen, is taking his R35, his track R35, down to an event called Legend of the Lakes in one of the most beautiful parts of South Australia, the Lakes District, our Lakes District, down in the southeast. Area well known for pine forests, lobsters, fantastic hill climbs once a year, and just and, and a lake that's very, very blue. There's some chemical reason for it, I don't understand it, but they have the blue lake, and guess what? It's blue. Now that is a fair drive from Adelaide, South Australia, where I'm based. That is, you know, 250, 300 miles. That is LA to Vegas. And, you know, it's, it's a oh, four and a half hour towing a GDR behind an underpowered van. It's about a four and a half to five hour trip with the odd little stop there for refueling and fixing the broken van on the side of the road and fixing flat tires on trailers and whatever other fun things before you. In Australia too, we have the other problem, which is of kangaroos. You know, Skippy the bush kangaroo. Hey Skip, what did you just do? I bounced out in front of your car and smashed the shit out the front of your car and rode it off. Oh, thanks Skip. Yep, that's right, my American friends. Those things are in plague proportions on the roads and you don't want to catch one on the front of your car. It's like hitting moose, except their center of gravity. You know, their center of gravity is probably just as tall. Anyway, and they smash straight through your windscreen in some instances. Great stuff. Now, my frustration is that this car is now on the trailer and it is ready to go to the race event. It's gonna, you know, it's an all weekend thing and it's returned very late Sunday night or Monday morning. It's a few thousand dollar exercise with new soft tires and everything ready to go. It's not child's play, right? However, the car is on the trailer and it is full of problems. So, this is what I call, and I have called over the years, you've heard me refer to it before, as the hopeless eternals. Yep, they figure that between leaving Adelaide, or leaving whatever destination they're going from, and going to the event, that the car's magically going to fix itself. This is a, a habit that befalls amateur motor racers everywhere, and it's one I've seen many, many times over the years, and they know, they know that the car's rooted and they're going to take it off the trailer and it's not going to run. Now I know this car runs, I know it's got a few problems, but they're mystery problems, see? They're problems in the CAN bus and they're problems that no one can actually say, okay, here's the issue, here's how we're going to fix it. No, this car has got ghosts. Yes. My job today is to plug into the Cyvex ECU, which is working, it's a plug and play S8, an old version on this R35 GDR, but it works perfectly and seamlessly. My job today is to plug into it, into the ECU, and turn off all of the Cyvex traction control. It's getting some spurious signals across the CAN bus that are not Cyvex related, that are causing the traction control to kick in and make the engine misfire and be very slow out of corners for no apparent reason. That's right, there is no apparent reason. Add to this, the gearbox has a few gremlins. It has a bit of a synchro problem, but that's all right. You can crunch an R35 in and out of gears, no worries at all. It, however, has problems with the TCM. It has a new TCM in it, the transmission control module, but these problems 
are stopping the switches in the center of the dash that sit on the CAN bus. You know, your three R buttons for those that know R35 GDRs. That switch a suspension into hard or soft. They switch a transmission into race mode or snow mode and it's they aren't working. Now, they did work for a day or two. They stopped working. Nick changed the switches. Even though they sit on the CAN bus, I believe the switches were still working perfectly, just the signalling wasn't working perfectly, and they worked for a day or two again, and guess what? Now they're not working again. This has got one really good advantage for Nick, because he has this habit of putting the car into snow mode for no apparent reason, and going from P1 to P3. And yeah, so there will be no snow mode this weekend, but I'm really worried that I can turn off traction control, I can stop the Cyvex like interfering and cutting power as it wants to, but I actually cannot stop or cannot avoid the actual real problem with the car, which is the ghost. We don't know what it is. Hmm. But one thing I can tell you 100%, and I'll repeat myself because I'm really good at that. <laughs> I do it on every Epicast, just about is that the car won't fix itself. The problems that exist when it goes on the trailer are the problems that are going to exist when it comes off the trailer. So let me continue my drive. Uh, we'll go and see Nick, and then we'll have a quick chat to him. He's going to be fairly frustrated, and Nick's really, really good, and he comes out with some wild one-liners when he's frustrated. So... We'll go have a talk to Nick as I'm plugging in doing the Cyvex and we'll get a real opinion and then I'll give my opinion afterwards how I think the weekend's going to end up for him. And then after the weekend, we'll come back and have a look at the results. He may well, and I hope he really does because he's a good friend, he may well prove me very, very wrong and put this thing into, you know, on the podium into P1 or 2. I mean, certainly the car's fast enough to do it. Let's hope he does. He doesn't stand much of a chance, really, I don't think. But hey, we've got to remain positive. So I'll check back with you guys and girls in a minute. This is going to be fun. Stay tuned. I'll be back. All right, so we're back. And I'm actually in Nick's workshop, man cave, whatever it is. It's scattered with various Evos, Porsche wreckage, and a GDR on a trailer. And we've just swapped TCM to see if we can make the switches work again. And actually... Tell us, what is the problem with the car, Nick? Uh, the factory uh, traction control switches and uh, suspension switches aren't working. Is that because it's a heap of shit, or what is it? Uh, I think it's a 12-year-old heap of shit, yes. Okay, so you're going to rock up there this weekend. You're going to kick it off the trailer. You're going to get you get a cider run first, I think, if I remember when I used to do this crap. Um, you get a cider run. What are you going to try and do? Are you going to go full effort from, from the start? I will warm it up first and then go full effort. So you're going to warm it up out, or you can't really warm it up on the road there, can you? No, well, it's registered, so what I'll do is I'll warm it up for the cider lap. They give you a cider where you just you drive up, you don't race up, yeah. come back down, get the temp in the gearbox, and then the first one you go in and you, 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 you go as hard as you feel you can. So there's no launch control the first one? There'll be launch control. There the will be one. launch control, so you figure you've got to get that going right from the outset. Just to make sure it works. Okay, what do you think's going to happen the first time that you run it? I've stepped through the, the listeners what could be wrong with the car already. Basically, we don't know. Um, Otherwise, we would fix it. So what's going to happen? Here you are. You're lined up on the start line at Legend of the Lakes. You've driven the distance of LA to, to Las Vegas, 250 miles. You've 
change spares on the side of the road, fix blowing up. Now you're in a Porsche Cayenne, so you've got half a chance of getting there. You're gonna line up, you're gonna be stressed, because it's gonna be a shit of a trip, and what's gonna happen? You're gonna put it in launch control mode, you tell me what's gonna happen. It's either gonna spray the front diff all over the ground, yeah, that's normal for Jetty A. Yeah, I've done that a couple of times. Yes. Or it's going to hold together and it's going to launch and do what it's supposed to do, which is a, a nice little soft launch with a little bit of a wheel spin and get going. Oh, and you're on the phone. So we'll get back to Nick in a minute. So basically, while Nick's on the phone, I think he's actually deluded himself into believing that this will be all right. Now, we hope it's going to be all right. Nick, if this works properly, let's just assume, and it's a big assumption to, that a Jetty is going to work properly in any event, any time. Where, where, where do you reckon you'll be? You're not going to beat Dan Day any 1,000 horsepower WRX, or are you? I'm going to have a crack at it, but it's only if I've got the grip and the thing doesn't traction control out of the corners. I can actually drive it and slide it out of the corners. Okay, this thing's got AMS Alpha 10s on it, which are a nice little turbocharger, more than little big turbocharger, but there is one particular tight corner that it is at first gear, the bus stop, as they call it. I think you really got to go to first gear. Second gear is just too boggy with the turbos, so we'll first gear it. Yeah. Drive it out of there on throttle, short shift a second to the next turn, which is in about 15 metres. Oh, no, it's terribly close. And, and it's very tight. It's, it's almost back on itself. It's not 90 degrees. It's more like 110 degrees. And then the next turn, you've only got one quick blip of throttle, and then you're hard right, and you can basically understeer clean into the fence there, can't you? That's correct. But that last bit of straight, you go second, third, fourth, and over the line flat out, you know, as, yeah, as fast okay. as it will go. But you get... I've never driven a GDR on that track, actually, but I imagine there'll be steering wheels and paddles and stuff going everywhere trying to get all those gear shifts in that little spot, right? Yes. It's really bloody hard. And, of course, you're the ning-nong that's put the paddles actually on the steering wheel. Yes. Yeah. So, so they're, upside, they're yeah. upside down. So you either get up a gear or down a gear, depending <laughs> what mood you're in and what angle you're on. One of the best things about a GDR was that the paddles were quite big and long and they're fixed, so you always knew that up was on your left hand and no. Up was on your right hand and down was on your left hand. With Nick, it depends how much lock you've got. And being one of those works bell steering wheels, hasn't it got like a bit of Coke can in there to space out? No, we use cornflake packets, which is like cardboard. Yeah, well, the Kellogg's product for my American listeners, you'd know all about it. So providing you get through one run, you're on brand new tyres. What are the tyres? We're using Yokohama uh, AO50s for the cider run, which are a second-hand set. Yep. run in and then i've got a new set of the brand new yokohama ao52s in soft not sure what they're going to do supposedly they're better because they've got a couple more numbers on them what sort of tire <laughs> what sort of tire pressures are we talking about here give away some of your gdr secrets for those that want to go down the same financial black hole uh well <laughs> if it's wet pump them up if it's if it's dry let them down you'll be high 20s or something right uh up there you want to be about 28 to 30 30 hot PSI hot for okay. you uh, Americans. I don't know what that is in your... Uh, no, business. they use PSI, mate. Oh, they got They're PSI. still Imperial. Where you're supposed to use KPA or BAR. Oh, KPA. I don't yeah, know well, yeah, 250 or something. Now, yeah. um, or 200, I don't know. Um, now, okay, so how many how many runs can you do across a weekend? Seven or eight or, eight or nine, isn't eight, it? Eight, I think, and then have a shootout. And if you, if you make the shootout, you're in the top 20, I think, or something, mm. you get a couple of runs to the end or something. What are your chances of making the shootout? If the car runs, I'm hopefully there. No, but what are your chances? Come on, give me a real, your experienced motor racer. What are your chances of being there on Sunday? All good, I hope. All good, I hope. And that's the thing. Like I said, these guys become hopeless eternals. Nick knows deep down he's got a 1 in 10 of being at the shootout. <laughs> what do you reckon, 1 in 10? Uh, maybe 50-50. Maybe 50-50. So he's going to toss a coin. You got a coin in your pocket, Nick? Uh, you always have. You've probably found one. It's uh, money or the box. Okay, what is it? 
It's tails. Yeah, he's not going to make it. So I reckon about two runs um, and he should be gone. But the attrition rate is high. Half the, no, maybe 30% of the field will go, won't they, in terms yeah. of mechanical breakages, people in the trees. What are your chances of having a decent accident there? You're normally never praying there. Yeah, I'm, I drive pretty conservative, I suppose you call it. Yeah, it's called slow. Yes, it's yeah. slow. Yeah. Called slow. So, look, Nico's all good to go. Could you just start up the GDR for everyone? It'd be nice to know that it actually starts. Listen to this wonderful E85 cold start tune on this thing. It's actually quite mind-bogglingly good. See, the excuse a tuner uses, and listen to this budding tuners, is say we let it crank for a fair bit to get the oil pressure up. You see? So there's a silver lining on every cloud, particularly the GDR clouds. So let's have a go here, Nick. It hasn't been started for days, and listen to that. It fired straight up. Listen to that beautiful VR38. It's a great sound. Oh, look at that. That's probably about as much running as it's going to do. No, nah, seriously, it is a good thing to free rev in the pits. It is, it is a very good car. And we're hoping, we're wishing Nick all of the best for this weekend. We're going to wish Nick every success. So everyone listening in America right now, you're going to hear this before he goes to the track. So all put together and let's all root for Nick before Nick roots the car. So, <laughs> all right, Nick, thanks very much for that. Uh, I'll go offline now and I'll talk to Nick about some other things. Be back with my real analysis in a moment. All right, so I did the job for Nick, and now I'm back in the car. You know, you got to give it to him. He is an optimist, like a real optimist, where I'd be going, mate, I'm not even taking this thing. There's no way it's going to work. Nick is rubbing his hands together, going, I can't wait to go racing. And that's all very cool, and I'm, I'm very happy for him. The reality is, oh, I don't fancy his chances. But the good thing is, being a mate and, and knowing a bit about his car and having helped him out with it for a while, I'll be getting plenty of phone calls. In fact, I will be getting a running commentary with every run that it does. So you can tell from Nick's voice that he knows. He knows that his chances of success here are fairly slim. He's been racing for a long time and he's no fool when it comes to motor racing, right? He knows that it's, it's going to be a bit of a tricky event for him. But he's going to give it a crack anyway. Now, oh, I'm in the right-hand turn lane here, and I don't want to use the indicator because it's going to interfere with my recording, and we can't have that. So how do you avoid being like this? The first thing that you got to do is be prepared at any time when you race a car to pull a pin. That's right. Don't be afraid of pulling out of an event if you can't get the necessary amount of testing in place before the event starts. That's right, you just cannot turn up to an event with the car untested, uh, just being fixed from problems, or even, doesn't matter, even just not having been driven for a while and expect to have any sort of success with it. Because the good thing about motor racing is it will always find a way to screw you over and mess with you. My 30 years experience with this sort of thing says that Nick's going to have trouble. Like I said, we honestly hope that he doesn't have any issues and that the car is brilliant for him. But, you know, if he'd completed, Nick did complete one test event um, before uh, putting it on the trailer to Legend of the Lakes. And unfortunately, the front diff, hence his comment about front diffs exploding, 
the front dip exploded. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a common GDR thing if you bounce them a lot off curbs and you've got a lot of power. Is that the, and the crown wheel and pinion in the front dip, which is quite small, it's like an R160 style thing, will actually just shear the crown wheel and pinion. And it doesn't matter if you cryogenically treat them. Uh, having a billet case, which Nick has, um, helps out a lot because it stops the whole combination lot walking around. And that, that, to me, I think is half of the problem before just pure power overload happens. Um, so yeah, you've got to be able to complete at least one or two test sessions successfully before you go towing three or 400 kilometers or whatever it is to your destination or you're gonna end up with a disaster. Now what I hope to see happen I hope Nick has just a couple of little gremlins, you know, and that's not wishing bad luck on him, that's just saying you can never have a perfect weekend. Maybe he has a couple of little gremlins like brake knock off and he's, oh, the brakes aren't what they should be and, oh, i got a flat tyre or something like that. Or, you know, just like graze a barrier or something and wipe off one of the canards. But what I'd like to see that happen because that means invariably that if you have those little issues now that you're going to have a really good race event weekend i'd like to see him make it into the top 10 and if he does that gdr is fast enough that it should i don't think it'll beat the big billet block wrx that's down there but i think it's fast enough to genuinely be a strong second or third place and that wouldn't be the first time nick's been second or third down there he has had some very successful weekends in the gdr but notably at that same at that same location but notably he's those events where he has been very successful he hasn't carried a problem into the event and that's the key that I keep repeating if you're carrying a problem into an event it's gonna get you it's gonna stuff you and it's not gonna be any fun at all so you know we got that on board now any problem no fun so is there a problem uh, using high-tech, powerful cars like R35s and current-gen Evos and Subarus that they all tend to break a bit. Is there any problem using them for this kind of amateur racing? Well, the point is this. If you aren't using a car like that to go amateur racing, if you aren't using a car like that to go amateur racing, you're not going to win. If you're interested in winning, then the Catch-22 is you have to go through this process of spending the time, spending the money, and you know, generally going through all the heartache to win. No one that wins these events does it without trouble. It's just that some of them minimize their risk, they minimize the risk by going through the necessary preparation procedures. So I hope that's been a lesson to everyone listening. Um, certainly I've learned my lessons out of it over the years. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna call Nick uh, across the weekend, uh, Nick will be calling me, telling me the thing's stuffed or it's good or whatever, and we'll I'll upload some of his uh, times to my Facebook page so we can all see how he's going. Because I think some of you would be really interested. I, you know, fingers crossed. I'm I'm interested to see him do well because ultimately, if you've tuned the car like I have or tuned the engine like I have, if even if it gets a flat tire or a suspension component comes loose or the exhaust system falls off, it's the tuner's fault. That's our lot in life, and that's why we charge the big bucks, which in this case, when it comes to working on Nick's car, I tune it for free. Why? Because he's a mate. 
Then why? Because Nick's an electrician and he wires stuff for, for me for free. Pig's ass. Um, that's our standing joke. It's like a robber's convention between the lot of us. But we'll be back with some times. We'll post them up. And we're going to get off this subject now. Next Epicast, I'm going to do it probably on the weekend. Probably after sampling a couple of South Australia's famous Zarella wines from McLaren Vale. Here you go, Jim. There's another one you owe me. I'll take it in bottles. Thank you very much. And we're going to talk about the bubble. We're going to talk about the bubble that is JDM car prices right now because it is out of control. Um, and in my opinion, it's unsustainable. And for the 400000 or $300,000 some people are paying for special model R34 GDRs, I believe you can buy cars that are much better investments and will make you more money long term. Nothing wrong with an R34 GDR, mind you, particularly when eight years ago or seven years ago they were 25, 30 grand or 35 grand. I just don't think they're worth in the hundreds because I don't think they have enough pedigree. And people are going to go, ah, Don and the GDR man said that R34s don't have pedigree. Well, they do and they don't. They're a very successful iteration of the original, which is an R32 GDR. And yes, I just missed out on buying one the other day. Nice and cheap. Oh, well, bad luck. I'll keep looking. One day one will come up and it will have my name written all over it. And it'll say, take me home, Martin. And yes, I would buy one. Um, things like Hawkeye STIs. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they're worth 40 or 50 grand. Sorry. Um, Evo 6, Tommy Max. Yeah, they're kind of all right. But look, let's not ruin the suspense of the bubble, which is the next Epicast. But in the meantime, I want you to send me some feedback. You know my email address. If not, I'll repeat it again. It's dtech at senet.com.au. That's D-T-E-C-H at senet.com.au. Send me your feedback. So I want to hear what you've got to say, and I want to hear your suggestions. And more to the point, I want some nitty-gritty. So if you've got a wholesome abuse this way, I don't care. Do it. In fact, I'll probably like it even more, and you'll get a mention. So thank you once more for listening to Range Anxiety and having some fun. Till next time on the weekend, stay tuned.